0: reese yeah what do you want to do with your life mm, i want to rock yeah rock yeah rock! hi my name is paul and my name is reese and you're listening to no, no garnish, garnish. I liked the devil horns
1: so there. Yeah, you gotta, you got to get the devil prongs. <laughs> Have you ever done this? Do that. And then that.
0: Yeah. The rock lock. Wow, I've never seen that before. Yeah. Did you just make that up?
1: No, I was taught that in San Francisco really? from 80s rockers. Wow. And they were kind of like... Ron was kind of like the embodiment of everything about 80s heavy metal. Who's Ron? Uh, Ron was the poster artist in Firehouse. And he was like... You know, he was a, he was like a a rock dwarf, and, right. and he and he went everywhere on a on a fishtail skateboard, and everything was like totally rad. And I'm like, yeah, pumped, and we're gonna like, and it was, yeah, he was wow. a real character. I was very fond of Ron, and you were called Hoggy, the yes. rock hog,
0: <laughs> the heavy metal hog, the heavy metal hog. I love that. That was my heavy metal nickname. Bill used to call me Hoggy. How old were you then? 16, 17 Oh, really? Yeah. So,
1: Paul, why are we drinking the rainbow? Ode to the rainbow. Ode to the rainbow. Yes. Why are we oding the rainbow? Do you know the bramble cocktail? Yes. Yeah, we've had a
0: bramble, haven't we? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay, what's a Bramble then? So Bramble was created in London in 1984 by Dick Bradsell, who's the guy who created Espresso Martini.
1: Yes, I recognise Dick Bradsell.
0: So in the mid-80s in London, Dick Bradsell wanted to create this cocktail that was evocative of his childhood. Right, okay. So he made this, it's basically like a lemon sour made with crushed ice. And the sweet element is blackberry liqueur. Mm. And when you pour the blackberry liqueur on top And it drizzles down through the cracked ice And you get this really nice pretty effect Oh, okay When was Dick Bradshaw alive? What era? That was, that was in the 80s
1: In the 80s So when he was a kid That would have been what, like the 60s? Yes Yeah. So, because I was going to say blackcurrant and blackberries I think are very invocative of being a kid Blackberry picking um, Blackberry picking yeah. and stuff like that And kind of like, particularly of a certain era as well Yeah because I, if I was to make a cocktail of my childhood, it would taste like Pop-Tarts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. highly manufactured, sugary things yeah. that you put in the toaster. Because I didn't go out blackberry pricking and right. stuff. Do you know what yeah, I mean?
0: Yeah, I mean, I did. I used to do that. The back, back when Nan and Grandad's garden, they were brambles.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, I, I saw them out in the wild, but I wasn't sure if you could eat them. Because mm. they're, like, out in the wild. Like, they could be, like, things that can kill you. That's how, like, far removed I was from nature. Do you know what I mean?
0: this was a more innocent time. So there isn't another cocktail that does that, that's constructed in that way. Right. But I really like that idea of that construction and kind of wanted to make, like, an American bramble. Right, okay So take the same formula For the construction But make an Americanized version So I was thinking Well, okay If you cross the Atlantic At that time What was going on in America In the mid-80s And it was Glam metal So I made an American Bramble Oh, is this your drink then? Yes, it's another one of mine Oh, that
1: was exciting I didn't know this was One of your drinks Yeah, so I made an American
0: Bramble That uses bourbon Lime and orange And then it's got raspberry liqueur Mm. but and then the drink itself once the raspberry syrup has settled you then get like a sunset effect it's all like red at the bottom going into orange and then as a name when i was thinking of the name i thought yeah you could call it american bramble but i'm that doesn't conjure up anything about the heavy metal period that I'm thinking of. Right. And then I thought, Oh, the Rainbow Bar and Grill on Sunset Strip, Sunset oh. Boulevard. Oh right. Ode to the Rainbow.
1: Ah, so it's an ode to the bar. You love you love these um bars and places that things all start in, don't you? But they I guess they are like a hotbed for culture. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really lovely cocktail. I love it. Yeah, it's really lovely. It's very sort of, very invocative of being a child. It's like, makes me feel a bit excited. And it's excitable. But it's really refreshing as well. Okay. Um. Yeah, I like it. It does taste of the 80s. Do
0: you oh, know what I mean? Yeah. There
1: is something. It, do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, it's Saturday, Saturday afternoon. And you haven't got any plans. You haven't got anything to do in the evening. And... Some people might think that's really sad that you haven't got any plans, but it's actually an opportunity. It's an opportunity to head over to your local video store. And then you go in Mm. and there's reams and reams of videos, all with their covers. You don't know what to pick. You don't know what's good and what's bad. You don't even know what you want to watch. And you're in your blockbusters and you've got that lovely sort of popcorn-y smell. You can almost taste the popcorn yeah. and you're looking at the blockbusters and you're thinking, which one's going to have everything? It's going to have a little bit of action, a bit of thriller, a bit of horror, and maybe, if you're lucky, a little bit of naughtiness in it as well. And that's what the cocktail reminds me of. Do you like that? I'll take that. You'll yeah. take that. Yeah, yeah, I'll take that. And I think like the video shop is um, quintessentially 80s, isn't it? Yeah, you know definitely. the video store. Quite a lot of really good 80s films are centered around the video store.
0: It was a big part of cultural life, wasn't it? It was, wasn't it? I think when you were a kid in the 80s, yeah, yeah, that's where you got your good entertainment from. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, uh, uh, entertainment that you could
1: choose as well. Yes, like, it yeah. wasn't just you know constricted to four channels.
0: What must so, um,
1: so what's the Rainbow Bar like in L.A.?
0: So, the Rainbow Bar, I think, was part of L.A. rock history. So, in the 60s, the two places were the Troubadour and the Whisky-A-Go-Go. Okay. Those were the big bars and places to be in the 60s. The Troubadour was a bit more folky. Right. The Whisky-A-Go-Go was more rocky. Right. And for a while, the doors were the Whisky-A-Go-Go's house band. Oh, okay, Right. I also found out that, you know, go go dancing. Yeah. That does actually come from the whiskey a go go. Right. Except there was a French whiskey a go go. This is where we're going to have one of those weird, like, French terms. So, go go. Right in French means abundance oh okay so the, in France the whiskey A Go Go Bar meant Whisky Galore oh. and it was a play on that old English film called Whisky Galore oh interesting so they copied the name for the whiskey A Go Go in LA right but they made it into two words Go Go oh okay and Go Go Dancing did originate in the Paris version but it was the whiskey A Go Go in LA that made it big there was no room on like the floor for the DJ or dancers mm-hmm. so they had them suspended in cages oh and that's where that whole thing came from a lot of like cage dancing and yeah. all yeah so the whiskey go-go was the first place to have caged go-go dancers the go-go dancing was named after the these go-go clubs right anyway so in the 60s whiskey go-go was the rock place right in the 70s the rainbow became the rock place There's a link to The Wizard of Oz here. Before the rainbow was the rainbow, it was called the Villanova Restaurant, and it was owned by Vincent Minnelli, who was at the time married to Judy Garland. Oh, right, okay. So there's a link to rainbows there. Joe DiMaggio and Marilyn Monroe met at that restaurant. Oh, no way. Yeah, met there in the 1950s on a blind date. Right. Imagine turning up to a blind date and it's Marilyn Monroe. Oh my God, that's crazy. No. And they hit it off, clearly, then. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. 1970s, the Rainbow Bar becomes the big place. Yeah. Anthony Kiedis of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, okay. His dad used to take him there. Right. And he says, like, he remembers sitting there at the bar alongside members of bands such as Led Zeppelin and Kiss. Right. It was also the birthplace of the Hollywood Vampires. So, Hollywood Vampires now hmm. is a rock band with Johnny Depp in. Oh, right, okay. But the original Hollywood Vampires was a celebrity drinking club established by Alice Cooper, and its members included Keith Moon, Ringo Starr, Mickey Dolenz of the Monkees. Oh, right. And Harry Nilsson. But the weird thing about that is that they started as a softball team. Right. They were massive drinkers, but they actually started as a softball team called the Hollywood Vampires. that's so interesting, isn't it? Then they became the drinking club. There's a little quote from Alice Cooper who said, that it was that crowd every night those same people every once in a while john lennon would come into town or keith emerson and they would be honorable members for the night god that's so interesting so
1: interesting to think about like you know rock stars and and all these people i don't know we kind of put them out onto like a different level like a different world because they seem so removed from us but they're just people at the end of the day Yeah. And they need friends and they need a social life. Yeah. And, you know, they like sport or they like, you know, hitting a ball around a park so they form their own, like, you know, it's like an uber elitist, like, society of, like, some of the most influential uh, musicians, and they're just knocking a ball around the park, because they're human, and that's what you do as a human. It just it just seems so sort of surreal, doesn't it, to think yes. of, like, John Lennon, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, I don't know, it's just because these people, we put them on such a mantle that mm. we kind of think that all they do is just make culture make music but actually like they're just human at the end of the
0: day aren't they they play rounders like the rest <laughs> of us yeah and so then in the 80s that carried on as the rainbow being the sort of the, the rock drinking place and so that's where you had members of like um, Motley Crue and Poison and Guns N' Roses right and in fact the rainbow is in three of Guns and Roses videos of the time as well so the other stuff was that Lemmy from Mosehead moved to LA in his sort of last decade of his life right and he lived just around the corner and it was his favourite place to drink Right. So it was Lemmy's local and after he died there's now a statue of Lemmy in the rainbow. Oh really? It's oh, not so my... it's still going there, right? Oh, it's, it's still going, yeah. I've never been to the rainbow. But as as a place that's synonymous with eighties metal, it, it kind of fits. so
1: that's why I called it Ode to the Rainbow. There's a really funny meme that has just reminded me of and I want to see if I can find it. Do you ever remember Care Bears? I, they were they were very much when I was a you child. You could have
0: named this a Care Bear cocktail. It does also look a bit like Care Bears. It as does well. a bit. Um, can I show you this little video, this little meme? TASTE THE RAINBOW, MOTHERFUCKER!
1: <laughs> Excellent And it just really <laughs> Reminded me of that Because it's like Heavy metal And it's rainbow And as I was drinking it I just kept on thinking Taste the rainbow Motherfucker <laughs> Yeah So it's kind of Yeah it's kind of, But then that is The kind of like The duplicity Or or the duality Sorry Of, of kind of 80s metal as well Because all the hair All the glam clothing All the silly theatrics Of it all And also the lyrics Being like You know Often quite like All about how Having good times and and drinking and partying and stuff, whilst at the same time the context of society being like vilifying all of these like devil worshipping, um, they're so like dangerous for society. And you yeah, look yeah, back
0: yeah. and you're like, they they look ridiculous. They they look like pirates. I know. They look I like know. party pirates. <laughs> There was That was the panic, that was sort of the moral panic at the time, particularly in America Christian America. You ever heard of the Filthy Fifteen? I think I have yeah. It was, from the PMRC which was the Parents Music Resource Centre right. and they were on a sort of a crusade to cleanse American culture of satanic influences and right. rock bands. As the PMRC grew to include the wives of ten senators and six house representatives, the Senate held a hearing on rock lyrics in September of 1985.
1: Some say there's no cause for concern. We believe there is.
0: The PMRC argued that songs about sex and violence were having a dangerous impact, and they gave senators a taste of the filthy 15.
1: In all candor, I would tell you it's outrageous filth. And if I could find some way constitutionally to do away with it, I would.
0: So you had the Filthy Fifteen, which was their most vilified songs. Oh, okay. And like 10 of them are heavy metal songs. Right. But you've also got Prince on there with Darling Nikki. (laughs) Madonna's on there. Oh, what with? Dress You Up. (laughs) Right, that was one of the most satanic songs around. The irony of that, it was written by two New Jersey housewives. (laughs) Right, right, right. And, you know, she's next to Wasp, Animal, Fuck Like a Beast. Oh, well, you know. Hardly. think <laughs> dress you up <laughs> next to fuck like a beast doesn't really compare oh I love it though Yeah, merciful fate black sabbath venom venom with the first band I ever saw live oh really 13 years old I went to see Venom at the Hammersmith Odeon oh right okay fucking hell that was intense was it so yes so now looking back it seems ridiculous
1: well yeah I mean like D&D was um, banned wasn't it Um, Dungeons and Dragons because it was people thought it was satanic yeah satanic wasn't it and it kind of interesting with the new series of Stranger Things how that's um, filtered into the storyline because their club the Hellfire Club and they play D&D and you know the Eddie the um, Um, The new character in it, you know, not to give too much away of the series, but you know, he becomes the kind of the town villain, because he's seen as being this kind of outsider and, you know, yeah, they're called the Hellfire Club, so everyone's like, oh my god, they're they're possessed by demons, They're, they're the ones creating all of the supernatural stuff that's happening in stranger things and you know it's an interesting commentary of kind of you know what was happening at the at the time and, and you know i love stranger things for that you know it, everything about it is inca- encapsulating the 80s in in every single way and, and i definitely sort of remember growing up and people at, at my school because we were the heavy metal goth kids or are you fucking gothic we think he's me to like go fix because it was in the West Country. Okay. <laughs> you know, gothics with the West Country accent is like, you, you know, you go fix. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the Matrix had come out, and we were all like, so we were like, yeah, we we're gothic Matrix. And they used to walk past and go, ur, Matrix. And like,
0: yeah. <laughs> <he's>, <laughs> ur, ur, Matrix. Yeah,
1: ur, look at your Matrix coats. <laughs> like, like well, who do you think you are? And then there was a rumour that we were um, burning crucifixes and snorting coke around the back of the the sports barn. Right. You know, just stupid stuff like that. And and it is just really interesting, this kind of like how really anything out from outsider culture becomes vilified by the mainstream, doesn't it? Yeah. By people who don't really understand It, it
0: seems particularly that America always has to have some moral panic. Yeah,
1: it does, doesn't it? About yeah. something. I think Britain has had its fair share of moral panic, but maybe not on the scale because it's not, a, not you know, the population of America is so much greater than the population of Britain, isn't it? So I think hy- hysteria can multiply on a on a massive level uh, in a country like America. But then you've also got added onto that the fact that they've got guns. I think, it's, I think the guns in America make all of this sensationalism. Because whilst in the UK we had Grand Theft Auto and it did come up in the media of it being a problem. Yeah. It's very difficult for kids to emulate what they see in Grand Theft Auto. We have knife problems, massive knife problems in the UK. I yeah, I agree. But with America it's so much more sensational because someone did do what they saw on GTA. They were playing GTA, didn't they? And they, they did actually go into a police station, shoot up a load of police, nick a police car and go on a bit of a rampage. Yeah. You know, and I think I think that creates like a level of danger within society that creates this vilification within groups do you know what i mean because there's so much more potential for it to actually happen
0: yeah i can see how it makes sense with that but that doesn't make sense with the histrionics about heavy metal that was a fear of christian values being undermined wasn't mm-hmm. it yeah.
1: but i think like um religion in america is so much more powerful yeah yeah you've got you've got states which are bigger than the uk which are like completely built on the backbone of incredibly strict religious values aren't they
0: yeah because i remember like some of the the metal stuff that was satanic or kind of anti-christian my attitude was it's just a bit silly what's the big deal but in america it was a big deal like i was watching that documentary that's just recently out on netflix about the most hated man on the internet have you seen that oh i started watching it yeah without getting into that there's a woman who's saying stuff happened when i was living in la yeah so I went back to my hometown, right? And and she described her hometown as having like there's one stoplight and 200 churches. Wow! And that's what my hometown is like.
1: My God! And I think Can you that's,
0: that's I think that's what a lot of places in the Midwest in America are like.
1: But I, uh, yeah, I I would imagine so. And also like um you know from the 60s onwards, uh you suddenly had this kind of tirade of serial killers and occultist oh, yeah. serial killers yeah. as well. And there was and there was quite a new thing serial killing they they hadn't really uncovered it it was sort of started bubbling up this idea in the 60s and, and by the 70s it was taking root and by the 80s the idea of serial killers was more cemented. So I think there was a lot of kind of attaching of, like, occult, occultist kind of groups. And, of course, yeah. there are satanic groups as well. We, we we can't say that there aren't. There are murderous satanic groups, aren't there, you know? Yeah. But they're very, very few, you know, and things like Son of Sam and the Zodiac Killer and all of these, and, and you know, Ted Bundy and stuff, and, and Charles Manson with an X in his head and all this sort of stuff. It all, it all builds a narrative for them being created from the eroding values that yeah. are being created by this music isn't it yeah and it's i just find it really interesting the political kind of social context of all of that you know especially looking
0: back and I mean that was certainly the sort of the backlash towards the rise of heavy metal in the in the 80s which was really like commercially the 80s was when heavy metal peaked yeah, that yeah. was
1: when it was like they had the most money in it, the most yes. like the biggest stadium gigs, the biggest tours.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I mean, I find it really interesting that glam metal or hair metal is now looked back on as something of an embarrassment. Right. Like I, I got a like a, a history of heavy metal book. Right. So I'm really looking forward to the bit on eighties metal. Right. And I get to that chapter and the guy goes, this just wasn't heavy metal. I'm not even going to talk about oh, it. Oh, no! <laughs> and so the whole 80s was a page and a half where he just is going, this stuff is shit. It's not heavy metal. That's ridiculous, He skips it. over it as if it was nothing. Because that's a massive
1: chunk of what heavy metal had had progressed to, had, had started. Yes, and in yes. that documentary, you know, Alice Cooper's talking about how they were the first metal band, really. They, they were the first ones of that kind of ilk, of that kind of glam metal, of that kind of like, and, and of all the massive stage theatrics. And actually everyone else was starting to copy them.
0: Yeah. So you had Alice Cooper, New York Dolls, Kiss, Van Halen, Hanoi Rocks, all those were 70s bands. Right. That influenced the bands of the 80s. Right, so I thought that just glossing over it was doing the culture a huge disservice. And he made made errors, like he called Twisted Sister an L.A. glam band, and Twisted Sister f- were from New York. Right, right. They were like a bunch of bruisers who dressed up like um, pantomime dames. Right, From right. New York. I mean, and I- like Wasp were from Texas. They weren't all these L.A. bands. Right, um,
1: but they all. But I guess a lot of them. Moved to LA because that was where all the record labels were. Eventually, in the eighties, wasn't it? it? That was where the big scene. It
0: became the scene. Became the, the scene, the wasn't scene it? Place, yeah.
1: And and I guess particularly back then, without the internet, you know, if you you would move to where all the agents and all the record companies were because you were physically having to give your demo tapes you were physically having to give yourself yeah. to these people to, to whereas nowadays you can be discovered on the internet can't you yeah. you know i I've, I found it really interesting with like you know with pearl jam how um eddie vedder was like living in living somewhere else i can't remember where he was living but then had to mail his demo tape over to seattle you know yeah. and then had to move there eventually and stuff it's just kind of interesting the idea of mailing stuff to each other
0: yeah right. you know it yeah, seems yeah. so
1: alien now because you can just blitz it over in a whatsapp message in I a know, second know. you know
0: all those guys and those big bands the big ones in the 80s the, the ones that made the most money the glam metal bands were motley crew poisoning guns and roses they all moved to la to make it Right. So in redress to this glossed over chapter, yeah. there's a really good book by the journalist Justin Quirk and it's called Nothing But A Good Time. Right. And it's particularly just focusing on that period of the 80s. And there's a really nice paragraph that I just want to read out where he really succinctly sums up why it was important. Oh, okay, sure. It says, For the entire 1980s, glam metal was legitimately one of the largest forces in popular music, both commercially and creatively. The music built MTV and broke open territories that the rest of the industry then poured into. Bands pushed at the frontiers of technological production. They sold out stadiums to vast crowds of people who the music press never spoke to. It was a legitimate cultural force that united kids like me in the suburbs of London with heroin-addled losers in California and rebellious mullet-sporting teens in the communist bloc. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yes. Everything <laughs> in that, that's why I loved it, yeah. it. it did make me feel connected to those other people who loved it as well. Right, right. It's the tribe of metal, isn't it? Yeah. It's like yeah. You, you find kinship with people, you find connection yeah. and, and meaning. Yeah, yeah.
1: I kind of, I kind of fell off heavy metal when I was about eighteen, yeah, nineteen, and, and moved into stoner rock. So it was still kind of like you know heavy rock and stuff. But yeah. but then the era of metal that I grew up in was much heavier than the era that you grew up in. So there was a lot of anger needed for like Pantera and the thrash metal that I was into, and like yeah. Sepultura, and do you know what I mean? It, it
0: was angrier. I mean, I did. My years there were, yeah. I, I came off the tail end of classic heavy metal, right? And that's when it started splintering, and you had glam metal, and then but you also had thrash metal. Oh, yeah, thrash
1: metal did start back then, didn't Metallica it?
0: Metallica were born in those days, and the big four Metallica, Anthrax, Slayer, and Megadeth
1: and Megadeth, yeah, yeah, they were all yeah. from
0: that period. And I liked it all,
1: but it's, it's interesting though, isn't it? Because it's like, like I used to listen to like Blast Beat and Grindcore. When I was like sixteen, and you know, when you when you look at like the glam metal and the the even like Metallica when they started and stuff, and compare it to bands like Dying Fetus and Anal Cunt, and you know, yeah. where it's just literally like oh, eh, uh, uh, and like Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> and um, and I think there's only so many years that the mind can take that shit because <laughs> it's just not musical well some
0: people that's their life
1: <laughs> but I, I just wasn't angry enough I think I just yeah, the anger yeah. dissipated and I just wanted something a bit more me- melodic and a bit more chilled out but still with that heavy heavy vibe and I found Stoner Rock just it just encapsulated all of that you know bands like Caius and Fu Manchu and, and all of that and then Queens of the Stone Age were, were bubbling up and becoming quite um, quite a big band then and that that was a yeah. whole new a new wave of what heavy music could be. Very very musical and melodic. Because I think actually the, a lot of the the hair metal in the eighties actually was really melodic. You know, they were structured songs, weren't they? That you could kind of sing were. along to. They were yes. anthems. Yes. I the fact that it's kind of come back a little bit with the uh, with the sort of 80s renaissance that we've had. But it's interesting because looking back at like hair metal and glam metal and stuff, like it is ridiculous. Like the clothes that they wear The hair is ridiculous That was the point Well I know I know They're kind of like, like Ridiculousness it's, was the point It's almost like um, They almost look Edwardian In some ways Don't they You know like You, you know like With all the, the poodle perms And the makeup and stuff You know what guys yes. used to do Yeah, It's yeah. Like, like a reimagining of that But with a real yeah. punk aesthetic Thrown yeah. in And obviously Mad Max Like kind of Boiled up at the same time Taking, taking glam metal and stuff Ideas yeah. And throwing that into Like comic book world and all the fantasy art of the time lots of barbarians in little tiny pants and lots of studded stuff really interesting kind of throwing that all together and I think the the rebelliousness of it is real like a real fuck you to the normity of what you should be doing of how you should be dressing exactly and also the machismo like we're really macho but also we like to put lipstick yeah. and eyeliner on yeah and, and have like really yeah. like back combed hair and just really interesting isn't it it was theatre theatre yeah th-
0: and that's why That's why I liked it. That's why millions of people around the world liked it. Yeah. But the people who didn't like it or didn't get it, they really didn't get it.
1: Well, yeah, because they were so so stuffed up in their conservatism, isn't it?
0: But I can also understand you don't like the music. But yeah, the detractors never really got what it was about the absurdity of it. And I always liked stuff like that. Like when I was younger, my first big band that I was into was Adam and the Ants. Right, right. Who were a punk band who then started to dress like that. It's kind of
1: it's kind of like. Um... I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, when you see the lineage of how, you know, music and culture kind of borrows and takes bits and adds bits. And I really find that fascinating to see the evolution of things throughout the, the decades, because I grew up, you know, um, with new metal. That's what was my gateway in bands like Corn and Limp Biscuit and stuff. But I, I quickly discovered that I preferred the older stuff, but I from the early 90s. Mm. So my era really is kind of from like 96 to into the 2000s and everything but but you know and and what i really loved was like 90s pantera but you know pantera started off as a glam rock band you know oh him. yeah but it's just interesting because what what ron said is that you know cuz i really love grunge but he was like you know the problem with grunge was is that it took out all the fun grunge wanted to get rid of all the materialism and all the all the the big jets and the uh, and all the money and and wear you know secondhand dowdy clothes yeah. Um, and it took all the, the rock out of it.
0: God damn, they don't make them like they used to. Fucking
1: 80s, man, best shit ever.
0: Yeah, I bet your ass, man, Guns
1: N' Roses, the rule. Crew. Yeah. Def Then that Cobain pussy had to come around and ruin it all. You know, Like there's something wrong with wanting to have a good time. Now, I'll tell you something, I hated the fucking 90s. <laughs> 90s fucking sucked. 90s fucking sucked. Man. And actually what happened was is that rap ended up taking that. You know, and rap became very bling and rap became yeah. the new rock stars, you know. Yeah. You know, big, over-the-top gesturing of, of your success and your wealth with, you know, grills on your teeth and diamonds in your ears and you know massive chains and everything and he was like you know he he really loved the fact that you know 80s the 80s metal scene was just so fucking like fun and and over the top and really about like let's make loads of fucking money and just spend it all make loads of money really fast spend it really fast and who gives a fuck about tomorrow because actually there's about living in the moment now because we're young And, and we, I don't care about what my life is going to be like when I'm retired because I'm not even going to get to retirement.
0: And I would say at the moment, I mean, Justin Quirk makes this point, and I totally agree with him, the music cultural scene at the moment the most embodies that is EDM, Tomorrowland. What's Tomorrowland the huge EDM festival every year oh right okay It's fucking amazing is it the the stage shows are incredible have you been to it no I just watch it on YouTube oh do you I don't think I'd like it in real life I'm too old now oh okay, okay but it totally embodies that yeah live for today we're young we're having fun and there's nothing wrong like the title of the book there's nothing wrong with just wanting to have a good time I was watching a clip from this year's Tomorrowland right and there's a holographic twin bladed helicopter that appears wow it's like nothing I've ever seen wow it's it's huge and it's just hovering above the crowd goes onto the stage and becomes the light show of the stage wow that's amazing but back in the 80s that was metal bands doing that yeah doing that I watched Ronnie James Dio's guitarist having a laser battle with a giant spider (laughs) (laughs) I saw all those huge ridiculous stage shows as a teenager I would have loved to have have seen
1: those you know the band that I really loved was White Zombie and Rob Zombie and of course he was really inspired by Alice Cooper and all of those heavy Glam bands and the theatrics of it, and I always wanted to see Rob Zombie's um, stage shows because apparently he's terrible live, but he has massive fucking robots and burning axes, and you know, and they're all dressed up like zombies, and his dragula comes up on stage, and you know, just amazing kind of like fucking balls to the wall. Yeah, here's a fucking rock concert.
0: Here's a spectacle. Like here's a
1: spectacle, and actually, like you know, um, the one band that is still doing that, isn't it, is Ramstein? I mean, they're their fucking stage shows I've never been to one I've always wanted to because they look like a health and safety fucking nightmare (laughs) do do you know what I mean like like billowing uh, jets of flames coming from the guitarists and and like firework flames going over the crowds yeah just the pyrotechnics involved in it just
0: insane I know and what I love about all those bands it's all with a wink yes it's always like we know exactly what this is. Yeah, And yeah, so yeah. do you. Yeah. And we're having a fucking great time, aren't we?
1: Yeah. <sighs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Do hast. Do hast, Mick. <laughs> oh. Do hast. Du hast mich.
0: So we mentioned it earlier Decline of Western Civilization Part 2 the Metal Years which is a really good documentary by Penelope Spheeris that's all about the 80s metal scene and I made you watch that documentary I wasn't there when you watched it but you've yeah. watched it I've yes. seen it loads of times Yeah yeah
1: yeah so it was it was interesting watching it because he's um filming everyone as they're making it they're all in it and it's all new and it's all of the time. So it's not like when you watch a documentary and it's in retrospect, all these kind of old people no. talking about their youth. And obviously when we see things in retrospect, we see it so so differently because, because we see how it's affected and how it's changed. and And, and people talk about the good and the bad, mm. whereas they're all sort of like in it. So they don't know where they're going with it. Yeah, and I think there's only a few people like um, what are they called? Uh, Big Lips Man, Stephen Tyler, S- yeah, from Aerosmith, from Aerosmith yeah. and Alice Cooper, yeah, who who kind of are talking about it a little bit more retrospect because they've kind of lived it in the 70s, and uh, and they're kind of like the 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 godfathers of that era. And
0: Lemmy's in it.
1: And Lemmy's in it, I would say,
0: actually, he's the voice of reason (laughs) in the whole documentary, (laughs) Lemmy. Uh,
1: Lemmy, the voice of reason. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the thing that struck me most was just how cringing it is.
0: It is, yeah. And
1: I don't mean that in in a bad way, you know, because I think when people are young, they are cringy, because I think everyone's so naive. And there's a lovely honesty about all of them as well, you know, and it, and one of the things that struck me is like when she's asking people why they want to be in these heavy metal bands the different reasons for it and a lot of them are like, it's because I just don't want a job. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. just like, Ozzy Osbourne's like, I wanted to be in a heavy metal band because I didn't want to work in a factory and have yeah. some guy saying, move that box over to that side of the room. Yeah. You know, and there's a kind of an escape from the working doldrums, isn't it? Of what life was going to be ahead of you. Because I think yeah. for a lot of young people, they were seeing the f- they this, 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 era of working like their parents and to end up kind of just as poor in retirement and there was this kind of idea like yeah we can make fuckloads loads of money and but some of them weren't making any money
0: no there's a mix in it of Bands who've made it, bands who are trying to make it, yeah. Um, and there's also fans. She does like talking head interviews with fans. Yes, a lot of it's really funny, like it is, unintentionally. Yeah. yeah, like with the Jobs thing. Like she's asking this one guy who's quite kind of preeny. What
1: do you do for a living? I don't work. I can't stand work. What was the last
0: job you had? Uh, I've never had a job.
1: I'm trying to, but almost trying to sort of um, manufacture an image of themselves yes. as being, yeah. Uh, hardcore rock and roll, and so so they, it felt very Spinal Tap watching it, yes. but real, yeah. Spinal yeah,
0: real Spinal Tap, yeah, real Spinal Tap, yeah. Am not going to release the album because they have decided that the cover is sexist. Well, so why? Yeah. But what's wrong with
1: being sexy? I mean, there's
0: no sexist. Sex. So I was thinking, of so sort of like the documentary evidence of the metal years in the '80s and. Another piece of literature, very obscure, I Axel, written by Ben Myers, who we used to... Ben and I used to have an email... What's the phrase? Like an email relationship. Like a but, pen pal? No, no, like a pen pal. <laughs> like an email pal. He was an email acquaintance. Right, okay. Yes. And weirdly, he now lives in the same village as a really old friend of mine, and they're both friends. Oh, right, okay. Because Ben wrote the foreword for my... Um, collection of comics years back
1: oh right interesting
0: and he's now like a celebrated author oh brilliant does like yeah I mean he'd won awards then he's won even more awards now right but one of the things that I absolutely loved and he he sent me some of these prose poems basically it's the history of Guns and Roses but all in prose poetry so it's like a, oh, right. Okay, I think it's a work of art I'm going to put a link in the description Oh sweet. I want to read one of the poems. Well I say I'm going to read it I don't know if you want to read it Do you want to pretend to be Axel Rose?
1: Yeah The poem is called Issues In school, everyone pushes me around, the teachers, the jocks, the counselors, the cops, my asshole stepfather, until, finally, you just go fuck it, you know? Fuck it, fuck you, and fuck Indiana too. I'm going west to Los Angeles to become a rock star. I hope you die a slow death while my song plays in the background, you fucks. My therapist said I had overwhelming anger issues dating back to my early adolescence. So I said, fuck you too, Jack, and hired someone who agrees with everything I say. And things feel much better now. I barely think about the past at all.
0: Good job, Axel.
1: Um, um, That was a fun poem to
0: read. They're all like that. They're so well written. But there's also ones of, like, the ones written as Slash right? Are hilarious. Are they? All the members of Guns N' Roses have a voice and have their own poetry. I picked that one, not because it's the best, but because it kind of encapsulated what we're talking about. about yeah. People yeah, going yeah. to Los Angeles to be a rock star and yeah. then screwing everybody metaphorically and literally yeah 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 so that's why I picked that one
1: and I think that was the thing isn't it yeah Rock was really a rebellion it was about like just fuck you to just the norm normality of everything just like we don't have to live the life that you're prescribing to us. Yeah. Like we can can make our own life. And I do like, and I really like that idea. That's one of the reasons why I'm an illustrator. That's one of the reasons why I got into making rock posters and stuff. Because I just didn't want to, I just didn't want the life that everyone was telling me I should have. And I like that. I like that about rock. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That also reminds me of one of my favorite kind of stories of the period. I heard this years ago and I seem to remember it was, the woman who was Guns N' Roses' manager at the time they were signed telling this story. So the story is, it's the day that Guns N' Roses are going to go and sign their big record deal with Geffen. Right. She's gone over to the apartment where they're all living right. to round them up and take them over to the offices. She goes over there. It's it's chaos. It normally is. Yeah, yeah. But they're all getting their shit together. But Axel's freaking out because he can't find his contact lenses. Right. So everyone else is ready, but now they're all looking for Axel's contact lenses. Right. (laughs) And then by the time they found the contact lenses, they turned around and Axel's disappeared. Right. He's not in the apartment anymore. What? So they all go looking for Axel. Right. And eventually they find him sitting on top of the whiskey a go go. Yeah. Surveying his kingdom, but he hasn't got his contact lenses, so he can't see anything.
1: Right. But he can't actually see anything. He of can't it. see anything. Ah, ah, that's so funny, the irony in it all. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Like anyone, any like guy who's had long hair. There's, there's, there's such a division between men who have had long hair and men who have never had long hair. Right. And it's just really interesting to think back of the time when I had long hair, you know, just, just it's a statement to have long hair as a man, I think, you know, yeah. uh, when, when it's out of the fashion of having long hair. Yeah, it's just interesting to sort of think back to those years because having long hair and, and being into metal is incredibly fun like you need the hair to enjoy the metal when i cut my hair off i didn't enjoy the metal as much cuz it's like an extension of your personality and it moves and it changes with the music as you headbang yeah. and thrash it around and you know the more drunk you get the more beer gets into it and you know it's just it's just funny you know i remember like as a as a teenager i tried to dread it because i said to my mom oh can i have dreads and she was like cuz i really loved like rob zombie with his dreads and stuff mm. and she was like yeah yeah that's fine you know i don't think she was really listening to me so i tried to do it myself and i was using tiny little elastic bands from my braces Right. Uh, and oh fucking hell it just turned into the most matted horrible horrible thing ever wow. it just wasn't it wasn't a good look Um, <laughs> and and then I remember like because I was in a heavy metal band and we were shit we were really bad but it was a lot of fun and what were to, you called I can't I think at one point we were called Nuclear Winter <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I asked you that because I knew the answer. <laughs> I love
1: that. Ah, nuclear, nuclear Winter. winter. Um,
0: That's and then, the most '80s metal name ever. It really is,
1: isn't it? Yeah. And I think we've and then <laughs> and then like when the internet got more developed, I think we found out that there was another band called Nuclear Winter, or probably about another twenty bands called Nuclear Winter around the world. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, and uh, and I remember being in a practice, and we used to practice in my mate's um, dad's. Wedding, Warehouse. He had a wine warehouse, this is so middle class, in Bath, <laughs> where we, you know, so like heavy metal in Bath, in, a wine in, this, in this like Georgian wine warehouse. And it was a really kind of crazy place. It was absolutely fucking massive. It had like four, four or five floors. Um, and then it had this huge basement, which had a stage on it because his uncle was into music and had a little recording bit and oh, stuff right. and it had this kind of stage, but it was all very, very dilapidated and mm. very like run down and everything. I remember like headbanging on the stage, getting really into it, and then one of my crusty manky dreads got caught on a nail in the rafters, and because I was singing and playing guitar, I was trying to like unhook my hair, but I was also singing and playing to like our friends. And my fucking hair attached to the roof. That was probably one of the most unmetal moments of my life. It was really funny though. And then, um, and then one night, fucking hell like we. Uh, just ...discovered that there was a whole thing of agricultural diesel... I have no idea how it started, but you know, we one person was like, Oh look, we can fire breathe and sprayed it out you know, put it in our mouth and sprayed it out. Oh my god. And like, like, wow! like I can do that. Whoa. And we were wow. doing that for about, you know, for the evening. <laughs> and they were like, Oh, let's do it three ways. <laughs> Whoa! like that. You know, in the basement of a fucking wine warehouse with all this fucking spirits. And it wasn't just wine, there was loads of spirits and Jack Daniels and like whiskey and all sorts of stuff above us. <laughs> like fucking like when I look back at it like how <laughs> stupid were we and I remember burping diesel for the whole night <laughs> <laughs> just the taste of diesel <sighs> Um, but,
0: but pretty fucking rock and roll wasn't yeah. it yeah I remember going to the marquee club that right used to go there for the smaller gigs but I saw like faith no more at the old marquee club and stuff and it seemed like at least every other week we'd be going to see some brilliant show at Hammersmith some, yeah one of our heroes playing Hammersmith oh wow and often you'd see how the like guys from other metal bands in the audiences and like I remember going to see Zodiac Mind Warp and Lemmy was selling t-shirts oh no way (laughs) I remember going to see King's X, and Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister was walking around oh right right and that tribe thing because like where I grew up and lived I was the only like guy that I saw with long hair right around there right you know and my mate who lived a tube stop away yeah same for him yeah as you'd be going to Hammersmith on the train and you see other guys getting on right and Hammersmith being the last stop on the line and as you'd get off you'd see everyone else getting off was like long hair metal guy right right and you're all just heading towards this one place right it's like yeah convergence of the tribes yeah 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 fucking
1: great yeah totally man and I think like the whole thing about the tribes you know when my parents dropped me off at Glastonbury Festival when I was 15 my mom always, like, recounts how, how, like, you know, I got out of the car and joined the, the sea of people just like me. and she was like oh my god like he's (laughs) joining his people and the look of like sheer excitement and happiness to just be with loads of long haired hippie weird you know weirdos and rockers and just being like oh my god like he's like arrived at his nirvana do you know what I mean and that was before they put the big super fence up so you actually had like loads of really really strange characters there
0: it meant a lot to people I remember going to Donington (laughs) and one of my favourite images maybe, maybe an image to, to end this whole thing with yeah at night sort of away from the stage and there's like fires no one was bothered about that so there were little fires around right wow and there were these two old hippie guys with inflatable guitars right just jamming away right and then they tripped and just rolled into the darkness (laughs) never to be seen again (laughs) <laughs> let's, let's leave, uh, let's the leave 80s it with that image. With that image. Yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> that
1: was brilliant. <laughs> Anything um, else you
0: want to add, or should we do the quiz?
1: Let's go on to the quiz. All right. Hello, darlings. I'm back for another Who Wants to Be a Cocktail? To remind you, listeners, I will give three cryptic clues that will relate to a film, and the film will relate to what we've been talking about. And I will give you clues to a cocktail that relates to the episode and the film as well. And if you can get either the film or the cocktail, you will win 10,000 adulation points. But if you get both, you
0: will win 50,000 points. 10 for one, 50 for both. Yeah. That's a good deal.
1: It is, isn't it? Yeah. And if you get it right, send in your information, send in the answer to no garnish at fastmail.fm or send it in through Instagram at no garnish pod. Cool. So the cocktail is half an ounce of Sambuca. And one ounce of jägermeister. Fill the shot glass with two thirds of the jägermeister, and then top off with the sambuca. Oh, that's something to start the heavy metal party, isn't it? Ooh, <laughs>
0: that sounds awful.
1: And are you ready for the three cryptic clues? Clue number one: a Saturday night party that ended up on cable. Clue number two: a bohemian joyride when you feel the fandango. And clue number three, when a foxy lady knocks you off your rocker, don't take the stairway to heaven. And they are your three cryptic clues. Guess the film, guess the cocktail, and send your answers in, and you will get loads of adulation from the princess.
0: (laughs) The princess. The princess.
1: And that is, who wants to be a cocktail? Cocktail. Oh and last week so last week's cocktail was The Mary Poppins
0: I said it was The Mary Poppins again no it wasn't No but that was, the cocktail
1: was The Mary Poppins Oh but the film the film was Saving Mr. Banks.
0: Yes, right. Oh, I didn't realise the cocktail was the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And the clues were, I am something you can save and something you can steal. Well, that was the real key to it, because what can you save in and what can you steal? A bank. Okay. <laughs> you can save money and you can steal from a bank. Yeah. And a spoonful of this and you'll never get down. Well, that's uh, sugar, isn't it? A spoonful of sugar. And childhood slips away when the whole world is at your feet, uh, is another phrase from um, Mary Poppins. And Pish Posh, Spit Spot, You'll Never Miss a Beat. Well, Pish Posh is, I think, in the original Mary Poppins, and Spit Spot, I think, is in the new one. It might be the other way around, I can't remember. So I think a lot of people got Mary Poppins very quickly, but actually the only person so far who got Saving Mr. Banks is my partner Josh, when we listened to it. oh right. So he uh, currently has 10,000 adulation points.
0: Oh, before we go, before we do the dice roll, little thing that I Learn that related to the Halikalani episodes. You know, you were talking about the craze for kung fu films in the seventies. Yeah, that's got a name. Oh, they were called chopsocky films. Chopsocky films. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I learned that the other day. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I like that chopsocky. There you go. That's that. Oh, right. Should we do the dice? Okay, roll them. Oh. Oh, number three. Number three. two and one, three. Number three is, really fitting, being the episode before our anniversary episode, is the Mexican Firing Squad. Oh, no way! The Mexican Firing Squad, telling the listeners here, is the first cocktail we ever did. And we did it as like a test to see if this whole idea would work. Yes. And we never released that episode. We never. It, it didn't really work the way we did it then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we redid another pilot, which we did put online. Yeah. But technically the mexican firing squad is our first cocktail oh wow and i love it and that's the
1: penultimate one before our anniversary yeah that's incredible i love that that's cool isn't
0: it that's amazing you know i've just realized that i've read the numbers wrong and that's not number three <laughs> no you should keep it let's keep it let's keep it yeah, yeah. That, that was a genuine mistake i read the numbers <laughs> that's fine okay cool so not next nice. episode the mexican firing squad <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for indulging my metal nostalgia this oh, evening. Oh, I loved
1: it. I, I love indulging in metal nostalgia. You can't have anything better, can you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you to everyone for listening. Until next time, darlings. Cheers. Goodbye.
1: <coughs> Bye-bye. <Yes. laughs> it's a
0: Hi, my name is Paul. And my name is. RUGGIN! Wow. I might need to turn the volume down.
1: Is that really loud? That was
0: really loud,
1: yeah. <laughs> Shall I not do it so loud?
0: Maybe not quite so loud. Paul. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> Paul. Paul! <laughs> From now on, on, I'm only going to tell you things if you ask me to tell you.
1: Okay. I want to rock and roll all night and party every day.